Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Bryan here. I want you to think for just a moment about what you are going through today. And I want you to know that while I do not know you personally, I see you, I hear you. I want you to know that what you are dealing with today you're not alone. You see, whatever you may be dealing with, there is somebody on this earth that has dealt with either the same thing or something very closely related to. And you may say, Doc Brown, there is absolutely no way. There's no way that somebody is dealing with what I am dealing with today. I want you to know that it's okay to feel that way. But you are worth you are worth knowing that you're not alone. Life is better with you in it. We need you. I want you to know that you're loved, you're valued, you're needed, but most of all, you're wanted. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. Now, we have changed up just a little bit in our format, and so we're going to be trying this out for a little while and, and see how it works. So please let us know if you're enjoying this new format, and we, we want to hear from you. Of course, you can call in our guest line uh, for questions or comments at any time, and we will be sure to uh, answer your questions, whether it be texting you back or giving you a message back or here on the podcast. You can reach us at 910-777-7239. That's 910-777-7239. Now, this past week, I had something very interesting happen to me, and so that was what brought about this episode today on Doc Talks. Back before Thanksgiving, uh, my father had a stroke, and he lost movement of his right side, and, and so he went into a skilled nursing facility. Now, what a skilled nursing facility is, essentially, is a nursing home, as we would know it, that did rehab. He was not a long-term resident. He was just there until he could be cleared medically to go home, but was still getting physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, all of those things that you would get in a rehab center. After coming home, some things changed, and he just wasn't able to get around the house. And come to find out, he had had another stroke. And uh, then we were able to get him into an invasive rehab center, which is a rehab hospital that only does rehab. Now, while my mom, if you may remember, my mom had COVID, while she was in the hospital with COVID, my dad started having hallucinations. He would see that there was a cat in the house, and my parents do not allow animals in their house. And so 
it didn't make sense. And he always leaves the door shut, you know, or they have a screen door that is shut. And, and so he's telling me there was this cat in the house. However, somehow it got out, but he had not opened the door. And so what we got to noticing was that my dad started having dementia. Now, dementia is a general term, I guess you could say, for a decline in mental ability, but gets severe enough that it interferes with our our daily life. Most people know about Alzheimer's, and Alzheimer's is the most common cause of dementia. Alzheimer's is a specific disease, but dementia is not. Now, oddly enough, dementia is a psychological disorder. Alzheimer's is a neurological disorder. With improvements of neuroimaging, we have learned much about the underlying processes uh, that cause Alzheimer's disease and other types of dementia. While this neuroscientific knowledge is, uh, is great, it's always welcome, there is some concern that this might hinder or, or discount the role that mental health plays in diagnosing and treating disease. Back in 2017, the WHO, or the World Health Organization, many of you may have, have more familiarity with them now due to COVID, but they proposed to reclassify the diagnosis for dementia as disease of the nervous system, which would then place dementia as a neurological disease uh, rather than mental or behavioral disorders as it is now classified in the DSM. The American Psychological Association was concerned that this would preclude some professionals from providing diagnostic assessments, even intervention and quality for care. So according to the APA, in February of 2017, then-President Dr. Antonio E. Punte and Chief Executive Officer Cynthia D. Baller, they wrote a letter to the WHO, the World Health Organization, not the band. And if you don't know who the WHO is, who the WHO is, why well, that was hard to say. If you don't know who the WHO is, just Google them and listen to the band. They were pretty awesome too. But anyway, according to this letter, they argued that this was not a good decision. And they were quoted to say, the science and practice of psychology are integral to efforts to assess, diagnose, treat, and support individuals with dementia and to lighten the burden of the families and institutions that provide their care. Now, as my father was in this invasive rehab or extensive rehab, he began to have hallucinations and delusions. And even so much, he thought that there was somebody in his room with a gun that was trying to kill him. Now, hallucinations, delusions, you may say, well, what's the difference? Well, hallucinations are like delusions, but instead of centering on misbeliefs, they involve sensory misperceptions. They're part of a, a false reality. It's a, a delusion is a delusion of a false belief. For, for instance, hallucinations can involve seeing someone who is not there or hearing people talking uh, when there is no sound. Now, typically, when we look at it from a mental health standpoint, when the hallucination or delusion 
is on the outside. They are seeing things that are not there. They are hearing things that are not there. That is typically a physiological issue, meaning that there is some kind of organic thing that is happening inside their body that is making them see or hear these things. It is a medical issue. When those hallucinations, hallucinations, excuse me, and delusions start being internalized, for instance, they are hearing things in their head that they know is not audible, or they are seeing things in a dream or sensory issue of a false reality, it typically lends to a psychological issue. So my father, being there in a rehab, having these hallucinations, these delusions, they said, hey, he can't stay here if he can't do therapy. And my first thought was, he can't go home. My, my mom can't take care of him. So there was only two other options. And the first was that we send him to a long-term health facility, a, a nursing facility, or that we send him to a Jerry psych ward. And ultimately that's what we did. We sent him to a Jerry psych ward. Now, just fun fact here, a common term for dementia back the 19th century was brain congestion and dementia. Sometimes they would call it senile dementia. We kind of know the, the term senile here, but then when we look at dementia, the first person to get dementia or to actually be diagnosed with dementia was Augustin Dieter on April the 8th of 1906. She died from the diagnosis of dementia. There's a lot of things here to look at, to understand. And we have to know that when we enter into these, these crossroads, if you will, with our loved ones as to knowing what we want to do, how we want to care for them, we have to understand that it is not going to be an easy situation to handle. In my case, it was very difficult to commit my father to a facility where he's not able to leave, that he is there for, for treatment. Now, speaking to it being organic, they did uh, a CT angiogram of his brain they did multiple, multiple blood work, and they did come up with a reason that he was having these hallucinations and delusions. Uh, so come to find out, we made the right decision. We, we did the right thing, and he is getting better. And hopefully by this weekend, he will be able to go back to a rehab center to get rehabilitated with the end goal of being able to go back home. So I wanted our guest today to be someone who has familiarity with these diseases. All right, so our guest today is Carrie England. She is a LPN. She's executive director at a memory care center uh, here in Arkansas. Carrie, it's good to have you on Doc Talks today. Thank you. So uh, in, in what we're talking about of senior care, Tell us a little bit about, and I know that you are in, in memory care, so you deal with Alzheimer's and dementia patients. Is it difficult for those individuals who are being admitted 
into this long-term care. Is it a difficult transition most of the time? Yes. With memory care and dementia specifically, there is, and and it's difficult for both families and for the residents themselves, but there is usually a two to three week period of time where they are always looking for a way out. They're blaming family members for dumping them, for, for people not loving them anymore and leaving them. And they have a lot of behaviors a lot of time and they feel that they've been abandoned and it's very difficult. And so it's really important for us as a team to um, keep encouraging them and make sure they understand that they're there for their safety um, and they're, you know, to make sure that they're okay. Sure. So I, I guess it would depend on the level or the progression of the disease as to their their cognitive ability to realize they're not in their normal place? Or is it always that they somehow know that they're not where they're supposed to be? I think that they somehow know they're someplace different and that the people that weren't there before are, you know, are not there. A lot of times, you know, we have their families coming to visit and to, you know, try to keep up some kind of a a little bit of a routine with visitation, but that's not always even possible. So it's a difficult period of time for them, especially that first few weeks. They usually settle in quite well after that. Yeah, my wife's grandmother had Alzheimer's for about 16 years, and it was always kind of disheartening or disconcerting to her family because she would remember me she would remember my name. She would say, oh, that's the preacher. But she wouldn't remember my wife's name or her daughter's name, anything like that. We would be sitting at their home and she would just say, I want to go home. I want to go home. Mm -hmm. And so what we finally learned that interpreted to be was that she wanted to go to bed. And so once we, you know, got her in bed, she was perfectly fine. But if you did the whole, well, you are home, then that just led to more confusion and more sometimes of hostility in, in a mood, not necessarily physically. So for those that may be in this transition place, not with just their loved ones, but for them, what is the best thing that we can do to help them uh, not necessarily understand what's going on, but to kind of live in their reality so that we keep them somewhat content or calm? Like I said before, we try to maintain the structure that they had at home, like their, you know, if they took a shower at the same time, you know, at, you know, or a bath at different times of the day. We also have a very wonderful activities program where we try to involve things that maybe they've done in the past. We have a lot of, you know, we of course play bingo, but we have arts and crafts and our building is set up in a in a circle here. And so those who would normally like part of the problem that a lot of families have and one of the reasons that they bring them here is because they are unable to keep them safe at home anymore. So our entire building is a safe space. There's no place that they can go that isn't going to be okay for them to be. And it's a circle. So if they're one who wants to wander throughout the day, they can walk circles around this place all day long. We have curio cabinets with things that are set up for them that kind of can take them back to their time when they were younger. So we try really hard to keep things 
to keep their minds active. We put TV shows on that Andy Griffith or I Love Lucy or things that might be from an era that they would remember. And so we work really hard at that part to try to just keep their minds active and them involved in things. Sure. Uh, I know of my wife's grandmother, uh, she played piano in church and she sang a lot. She wouldn't know her name, but you could set her at a piano and tell her a song that you wanted to play and she could play it and sing all the verses. And it was just amazing to us that while that short-term memory was lacking, that some of those long-term memory things that were ingrained just naturally came about. Yeah. Music is a big, a big piece with dementia care. We have um, a system that has headphones that you can put on our residents and they can just kind of, and you know, we have every kind of music that they could possibly want to listen to. And you can watch somebody who's having agitation. You can watch that agitation dissolve on their face with music. And um, we have a grand, a baby grand piano here where we have people come and play frequently and have music a lot. And we have karaoke in our activities room as well. And it's amazing how many of them, if you're putting on the right songs, they'll start singing and dancing. And so we do a lot of those things just to kind of keep, keep them active, keep them, those memories going as much as possible. Now on the on the flip side of this, it's very difficult for families to place their parents or their loved ones in a facility. It is very difficult. And sometimes it, it feels like maybe we are abandoning them and that we're supposed to take care of them, but all of a sudden we don't have that ability. So can you share kind of about that, maybe even a personal experience that, that you have had either with your family or, or admitting someone in that family, if, if could you just kind of share what that was like and, and what steps that you took to help process and, and get through that, that time? Yes. Well, on my professional side, my families often have a lot of guilt, but I have a, I feel like a little gift that um, my father had dementia and Alzheimer's for 12 years of his the at, towards the end of his life. And I dealt with that um, with a lot of my own guilt, but knowing that he was going to be in a safer place and being be able to be taken care of better by being placed in a facility and be safe. And so I feel like I have the ability to to talk to our families and kind of guide through them through that a little bit better than the average does because of my personal experience. When my dad started getting sick, he came, he told me, he said, I do not want you to feel responsible for me. I want you to put me someplace where I will be safe when it's time. And I've been a nurse for 30 years. The last thing in the world that at that point in time that I thought was going to happen would be that my dad would be in a facility somewhere. And so I held on to that guilt quite hard. And he was in a better place where they were able to handle his he, his behaviors and his, his needs much more than I would have been at home. You know, caregiver exhaustion is a very big thing. When you are taking care of somebody in your own home, not only is it exhausting for you and it, it's exhausting for, for everyone in your family because the guilt travels throughout everyone, you know, and 
when there's two or three kids in a family, it always ends up coming down, it seems, on one person. And that causes issues then between siblings a lot of times. So that kind of thing is a very real challenge for families. It's great and and very much a blessing that your dad gave that grace to you before mm-hmm. he got to that point. But there are some who do not have that grace and uh, still have a cognitive level to say, I can't believe you're doing this to me. You know, you're my wife, you're my husband, you're supposed to take care of me. But then when, you know, sometimes we talk about like sundowners where they're perfectly good during the day, but towards the evening, it just kind of starts to fall apart. And so when you start to have those conversations, Sometimes it can be very difficult. So if you if you have someone that is is coming to your facility that is looking to place their their loved one and they tell you, hey, look, they're not happy about this, and that patient still has a, a cognitive level to say they're abandoning me, they're doing this or doing that, how do you approach that? How do you for lack of a better word, how do you try to smooth that over? Yeah, well, it's it's difficult because we have we have them walking around outside this door right now that are, you know, I want to call my son because he dumped me off here and he's not coming back to get me. It takes time, and that's all I can tell families. You know, sometimes it is best for them not to be here, for them to not come in and. See them and let that let that aggression and that anger, you know, from that resident kind of dissolve a little bit. Make the phone calls or do some FaceTime and that kind of thing. Maybe sometimes is best, but that's a decision that we leave completely up to them. But we handle those those times with our residents. We do a lot of sitting and holding hands and hugging and telling them that we love them and that their families love them and that they are here for their safety and their well-being and and re- a lot of redirection. Sure. I knew this man, he was in his 80s and his wife had Alzheimer's and he put her in a facility where she was there for I'm going to say 12 15 years. And every wow. single day he would go see her. And she didn't know who he was. She would sometimes get say to him, "If my husband knew you were here, we would both be in a lot of trouble. And I remember overhearing a conversation where someone said, if she doesn't even remember you're her husband, then why do you still go? And his answer was, because I still know she's my wife. But that would be very, very difficult. Did did your father get to a point of where he didn't know who you were? Yes, he did. I I remember the day like it was yesterday when he didn't remember who I was. It was probably four years before he passed. He was in a facility and I used to go every morning and every night and I would take him a strawberry milkshake. And I walked into the facility one day and he had his back to me and I put my hands on his shoulders and I kind of walked around to the front and I said, hi, dad. And he looked at me completely blank. He did not know who I was that day. So that was... That was probably one of the hardest days of our, of, of his diagnosis and everything, you know? And, and so I still kept taking him the strawberry milkshakes. 
it was so strange how the day before he knew who I was, but that day he did not. So, so leaving the facility that day, walking to your car, getting in your car, how did you begin to process that? I cried. I, uh, I, 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 and then again, the guilt and the questions, if I had kept him, if I had tried to keep him at home with me, would, would that have changed how, you know, how he didn't or didn't, you know, how he reacted to me on that day? You know, was it because I'm not here enough? And like I said, I had, I tried almost, you know, pretty much every day to go twice a day to see him at that point in time. And so, and then, you know, the reality of being a nurse for as long as I had at that point in time, even. I'm so sorry about That's that. That's fine. That's I, fine. I knew that that was just the process of what he was going through and that we would have to, you know, we would just have to deal with it in other ways. And so I, I still would go and he, there would be glimpses of his memory from time to time that I would pick up on, you know, and uh, I think that he, he still remembered my, one of my grandchildren for a little while after that. And he always loved when the kids would come in and see him and things like that. So but not for very long. Mm. So to to coin a, a psychology phrase, him not knowing you, but knowing your kids, how did that make you feel? Well, that he loved those babies, mm. you know, and uh, that didn't, it didn't, that piece of it didn't bother me at all. I have probably some of the most amazing pictures of him holding my first grandson you know, after that and loving on him and stuff. And he had gotten, my dad had gotten a stuffed frog in the facility that he was in. And I took my grandbaby, he was about a year and a half old. And I took him in with me to visit him one day. And he was calling him Papa, Papa Gary, Papa Gary. And my dad handed him that frog. Mm. And he's almost seven now. And he sleeps with that frog all the time, still to this day. So if someone were approaching the decision, okay, I don't think that I can do this anymore. And, and, and they do have that, uh, what, what we call compassion fatigue, uh, of where you just can't do it anymore. And they are approaching the thought of, okay, do I make this decision and go ahead and go through it? Or do I try to keep, keep them with me? Where would they look? Would they just, you know, start calling facilities and is there a counselor or something there that can really help them determine what needs to take place or what your recommendation were? How, how would they begin that process? So starting with their primary care physician is usually the best bet because the diagnosis of the, of the person is going to be the, the, the ending factor of where they need to be going. So if they don't have a memory care issue and they have health issues or they're just getting too feeble to be at home by themselves, they may end up needing to just be in a skilled nursing facility. Or maybe they just need an assisted living, you know, for that time being. If they have a diagnosis of dementia or Alzheimer's, then they would need to call a facility with a memory care or call a memory care like we are a freestanding memory care here. Some skilled nursing facilities do have, they do have memory care units. So with that comes a secured, a secured wing or a secured building to where if they wander out, they don't get lost. They've got locked doors that prevent them from being able to, to get away without to where they're safe. Starting with their primary care doctor is probably the first step. 
And then getting on and doing some research for the kind of facility, the kind of financial um, money that they have available, you know, if they're Medicaid or Medicare going to be paying or if they're able to do some private pay or if they have long-term care insurance, that all of those factors are going to come into that. So what would you say to a family that is in this process and they're feeling that guilt? What would you say to them? I've said it a lot of times. I've said to go ahead and feel the guilt to be able to get over it and get through it, but know that they are doing the absolute best by their family member and for themselves. They cannot be an appropriate loved one to that person if they let themselves get sick or hurt by being exhausted and not taking care of their own self. Self-care is very important. Caregiving is difficult. And, it, and you know, with lifting and, 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 and cooking and cleaning and, and all of those things that go along with taking care of an elderly person, the chances of their their son or daughter being, you know, in the age group where we get hurt by trying to help them is very real, you know, and then you're out of your work or you're out of, you know, or in the hospital and everything yourself. And then it becomes an, becomes an emergent process of trying to figure out what you're going to do with mom or dad. So finding some place that you're really happy with when it's easier instead of it becoming an emergency is really important. Yeah. Well, Carrie, it's because we've had that happen. Yeah, Carrie, we appreciate you uh, taking your time today to talk about this a very sensitive subject and difficult subject. So, uh, thank you again for for being here with us. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. As I mentioned, talking to Carrie, my wife's grandmother had Alzheimer's for around sixteen years, and I remember just in and seeing her and knowing her, the decline that that took place on and on and on and on. And there was a, a man in the church that I pastor who, when I, when I got here eight years ago, nine years ago now, that had the very beginning of Alzheimer's. And he just, I mean, went fast, went so fast that it, it was just, to me, was was crazy. Now, we have to understand that it is difficult for us. It is difficult for the children, the husband, the wife, the, the loved ones that really have to make these very hard decisions. And when it comes to our loved ones, there is that guilt, uh, as Carrie talked about, that guilt that we have in our lives of you know, till death do us part in sickness and in health. And that kind of commitment that we have non-verbally and really even not cognitively until that time comes that we're supposed to care for our parents and that we're supposed to take care of them. And there comes this reality that, that that's no longer possible. We're not going to be able to do that. And just as much as the patient or resident may feel that that we have forsaken them, that we have just betrayed them, sometimes we feel that way too. And sometimes we just want to go and get them out of the facility and say, I'm sorry, uh, 
I shouldn't have done that. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that in these situations, we have to understand that while it hurts, while there is guilt, while there is torment, we have to understand that we did the best that we could do for as long as we could with what we had. And if we can come to terms with that, to understand that, that will help us to process through the grief. And I've heard many people say that they lost their husband or they lost their wife or they lost their loved one twice because they lost that person in that that person lost all memory of them. And it was almost as if that person had died. But then when they do physically die, they have lost them again in that process and that that dimensions of grief and that process of grief comes over them again. And so I just want to encourage you today that life has many difficult decisions. But if you could lay your head down on your pillow at night and say, I did the best that I could do with what I had, then you have made the right decision. If we're not healthy, we can't care for those around us. Whether that that healthiness is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, we can't help others. And at some point in time, we have to realize that we may be doing more harm than good. So be encouraged today. Be encouraged. Know that you've done the best with what you have and you'll be able to make it through. Thank you for listening today. Of course, I'm Doc Brian. You can find me at thedocbrian.com. All of my social media contacts are at the bottom of that website. And of course, Doc Talks is a part of the Be Frank Network. I want you to go check out all of our podcasts there at befranknetwork.com. Once again, thank you for, for listening today. As always, if you have a question, you have a concern, you have a comment or advice that you would like to give, we would love to hear from you. You can email that to us at thedocbrian.com. That's doc, D-O-C, at the, T-H-E, doc, D-O-C, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, dot com. Or you can call us and leave us a message at 910-777-7239. That's 910-777-7239. As always, we love you. We love to hear from you. And we hope that you have a great rest of your week. Goodbye.